0: Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. It's good to be together this morning. Thank you for being here. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we continue our forward series, the message today is simply this live, sent. Live, sent. The truth of the matter is is that God who we worship is a missionary God. In Psalm chapter 67 verse 1 it says, "May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, why that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among and notice what it says, church, all nations, all the people Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God's desire as God is his glory among all the nations. God is a missionary God. He is a God who sent his son, Jesus, and he has called us as his people, as his church, to be sent as well. The last few weeks as we've looked this January, uh, just aligning ourselves as a church Behind God's mission, we talked about what it means for us as God's people to be a people who follow Jesus. This is an individual thing. This is a a reality that you yourself in your own life need to understand that God desires that you follow him. This is not something you do because your family does it or your friend does it or, you know, what you've grown up in. There's a sense which you need to take account of your life and say, where is my heart? Am I following Jesus? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? It's personal. Am I pursuing after him? Am I following in obedience to him and his commands? It's between you and the Lord. At the same time, God does not just forgive us and draw us into a relationship and leave us. He calls us to grow, to to be shaped into his image, to become like him. And and the scripture, all throughout scripture, shows us that we do this together. Our, Our faith is personal, but it's not private. This is why you're here this morning. This is why we do church. This is why church membership matters. This is why it's important that we link arms together with brothers and sisters in Christ and community and small groups like our life groups and and study the word together and hold each other accountable and encourage one another and build one another up and forgive one another and love one another. All the things that scripture says that we are to do, we do it together so we can grow into his image and his likeness. But then it doesn't stop there. We become a people who are compelled. We recognize that it's not just about us having a nice gathering here of like-minded people for our enjoyment and our good, but rather God empowers us as the body of Christ and sends us out to live sent. So this morning, I want to turn our attention to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as I was thinking through this and this Missions Week and kind of the culmination of this forward series of Live Sin, there's a lot of different places we could go. We could go to the Great Commission. We could go to Acts 1-8. You know, we could go to Isaiah where he says, here am I, send me. Right? There's a lot of places that we could go. Uh, but I, I really want us to, to look at this text because Paul outlines for us some things that I think are really important. That if we're going to be a people that live sin, we've got to really root ourselves in these truths. So read with me this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. It says this, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart." to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word and God, we thank you that you long to speak to your people. So God, I pray that as we study this text, as we look at what you have for us in it, God, that we would be a people who say yes, Lord, speak to us as only you can, empower us, call us out, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. These two words live sent. Now, you know this. Pastor Casey comes up here at the end of every gathering that we have. He gives us some announcements. He tells us some things we need to know. And then he gives us the magic words allowing us to leave. What are those words? You are now sent. Have you ever wondered what happens when he doesn't say that? Are we allowed to leave? Like, I feel like we might be trapped here forever. We should try it one week just to see what happens. But we say that, and let's just be honest, as you hear it week after week after week, it can just become words. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to be a people to be sent? There's two words here, live and sent. Paul addresses both of these. I want to understand this for a second. What does it mean for us to be alive? Let's face it, we live in a world and a culture where people are trying to figure out what does it mean for them to live. How do they experience life? They're they're looking for their identity, they're looking for all these different things, they're experimenting with all these different realities trying to figure out what does it mean to be alive. Paul gives us the answer very clearly when he tells us in verse 17, therefore if anyone is In Christ. What does he say? He is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And what he's referring to is what Jesus taught in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus when he says, you must be what? Born again. There's this new birth that must take place. And the scripture says that if you are a Christian, if you've by faith placed your, your, your life and your hope in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, it's not just that God looks over your sin, rather he makes you new. He gives you a new birth. You are a new creation. All of a sudden you are alive. What this verse is telling us is that to live means that we live first and foremost in Christ and outside of Christ, we aren't, truth be known, alive. so if we're going to be a people who live sent it roots itself first and foremost in being in Christ in relationship with him and what Paul's doing is connecting the dots of what we've been talking about that first and foremost we've got to be a people who are following Jesus we've got to be in relationship with him and as we follow and then we grow to become like him then we are sent we can say we're sent all the time but if we're not following Jesus and alive in Jesus we're not really being sent so we first become alive and Paul goes on to explain what it means and what it looks like for us to live. In verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. What? That those who live, those in Christ, those who are Christians, those who are alive, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. All of a sudden, what we understand is for us to live is that we are no longer living for ourselves, but rather we are now living for our King, the one whom we are following, Jesus the Christ. And so we understand that Paul helps us realize what it means to be alive, but then he tells us that we're sent. If you notice in verse 19 and verse 20, He says, that is, in Christ, God was doing what? He was reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean? He was not counting their trespasses against them. And he was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We are sent ones, according to what the scripture says. So we are alive. And if we are indeed alive, then we are indeed sent this is what the scripture says this is not opinion this is not just for some elect or certain few it is rather for all who are alive in Christ we are all to be sent so what I want to do is I want to walk us through this text I want us to look at some driving forces behind why what what moves us to this what moves us to this The first thing I want to show us is this, that when we are alive in Christ, when we are a new creation, God gives us a new motivation in life. God gives us a new motivation. Let me ask you a question. When you wake up every morning, what motivates you? What motivates you? What's what's the driving force behind your day, your life? Paul helps us understand as new creations, as new creatures in Christ, what this looks like. Notice in verse 11, therefore, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord. He's going to give us two different motivations. The first one is this, that we know the fear of the Lord, that we understand that we have a healthy fear of the Lord. Every single day we wake up and recognize that God is God and we are not. There's a sense in which we are in awe of him. Is this what you... Wake up to, is this what drives you? Notice he says, therefore, there's this connecting word there. Therefore refers back, he's connecting dots to something else. And if you look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 5, he's talking about eternity. He says that we have this tent, talking about our bodies, but this tent is temporary. and We're going to go to our home, our forever home. We're going to have not just tents, we're going to have these buildings, these eternal being bodies that we're going to have is what he's referring to. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he talks about how whether we're at home or whether away, in other words, we're with Jesus or not with Jesus, we're doing all that we can to live our lives for one purpose and one only, to make it our aim to please God. This is what it means to understand the fear of the Lord, to recognize that He and He alone is God. And so we want to please Him with our lives and everything that we do. And then in verse 10, he makes it even more clear, and he says, for we must what all appear, notice what it says, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, there's an understanding that when we see Jesus on the throne, that means we're not on the throne. And then all of a sudden, when he's on the throne, it causes us to have this this healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of life, it's, it's what drives us, it's this motivating factor. And what's really interesting about this text is, yes, we know that everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but the context of what Paul's referring to right here is to say that we as Christians will indeed stand before Jesus, and he says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, God has given you time. God has given you giftedness. God has given you opportunity to live your life for his name, for his glory, and you will be held accountable to what you did with it. Remember the parable of the talents? And you will receive based on what you sowed. Now, church, this is not referring to whether you will gain or lose your salvation by your works. That is a different conversation. That's a different point. But what Paul's talking about here is you live your life. There's a motivation of the fear of the Lord of saying, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ on account for what he gave me the opportunity to do and how I did it. It's driving Paul, so what does he say? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, because of this, verse 11, we persuade others. We get after it. We understand that there's only a certain amount of time that we have and so we go and we want to persuade others so that they can know this loving God. So the fear of the Lord. The second motivation that we see is the love of Christ. Notice in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. So first, knowing the fear of the Lord. Second, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And the beauty of what Paul's doing here, I love this because sometimes we get we we find ourselves guilty of looking to one or the other. We we're all about the judgment of God, right? Like like God is God, and He's going to strike me down, right? There, there's that kind of mentality in our culture of this is who God is, and then there's the other side where people are like, oh, God is so gracious and so loving. I can just live my life however I want. It doesn't matter. He's loving. But what Paul does is he brings these two together, the throne of Christ and the cross of Christ together is the motivating factor behind his life. We won't be a people who live sent without both of these being the driving factor in our life. The cross of Christ and the throne of Christ. And notice what he says, verse 14, for the love of Christ, what does it do? It controls me, is what it says. Your translation might say constrains me or compels me there's the the word there's this constraining this this shrinking of options in other words what paul's saying is because of the authority of christ and him being on his throne and my fear of him and this overabounding love that he has for me and for the world my life becomes much simpler there's fewer options everything that i do is for his name and his glory and making sure that the world knows of his grace and his love and his mercy and his holiness and righteousness and judgment. In other words, I'm compelled, I'm constrained. Anybody love to do power washing? It's the most therapeutic thing that I can do, right? When my deck is getting all moldy and nasty and you take the power washer and I've got like, let's just be honest. I don't have the manly gas powered one. I just have the one that you plug in that I can carry around like a briefcase. I admit it, but it still works. And you turn it on, and all of a sudden you have this really powerful amount of water that comes out, and it just cleans, it just, it just clears a path, right? Do you ever understand why it does that? Sure, there's an there's a engine, like there's a, there's a motor that's kind of pushing water, but an engine pushing water means nothing unless the water is what? Constrained through a very small hose, through a very small nozzle, that all of a sudden it is a powerful force, is it not? See, church, when we live our lives for ourselves and however we want, not constrained by the love of Christ, we're just like water that's just kind of flowing and flooding and not accomplishing nothing, but maybe even some damage. But when we become constrained and compelled by the love of Christ and the fear of the Lord, all of a sudden we are aligned for a purpose. And can you imagine the power of what God can do when his people say, I'm compelled and constrained by the love of God. This is what Paul is talking about. This is the motivation that's driving his life. If you notice back in verse 13, notice what he says. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it's for you. Why? For the love of Christ controls us. In other words, what he's saying is, because of God's love, my life to you looks crazy. It looks absurd. It makes no sense to you. I actually looked up this word and this phrase and what it means. It means this, to not be in one's right mind, to be insane, to be mad, to be one out of one's mind, to be insane, to be mad. This is what Paul's saying. If I appear insane, it's because I'm compelled by the love of Christ. So what is Paul getting at here? He's saying this, church, when we become so in love with Jesus and we're following after him and we say yes to him because if we understand the authority of Christ and the fear of the Lord and his love and it's compelling us, we will find ourselves, watch this, saying yes to some things that the rest of the world around us and even maybe your closest peers around you will look at you and say, you're crazy. Yes, because the love of Christ compels me. I can't help but say yes to the Lord. There's a missionary that you may have heard of, probably familiar with. His name is Jim Elliot. A powerful story of a man who was compelled, motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. We know that he was married and in his twenties when he was compelled by God's rule and God's love to say yes, to go serve in Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians, a very savage group of Indians who had no exposure to the gospel. After a few encounters face to face with them, they felt like they were making progress. And so they went back another time. Before he went, his wife asked Jim this question. She said, Jim, if you and the others are attacked by the Akas, would you use your guns to defend yourselves? And this was how he responded. We will not use our guns. And to that, she, his wife, replied, why? Listen to his response. He says, because we are ready for heaven, and they are not. That is a man who is compelled by the fact that Jesus Christ is on his throne, that he has a body waiting for himself in all of glory, for all of eternity, and here are some people who don't. So he was constrained, he was compelled. If you know the story, you know that it was in that next encounter that a group of 10 of these savage Indians murdered him and the rest of the missionaries that were with him. And we look at that and we say, how tragic. And quite honestly, the world, the normal world, and even some Christians will look at that and say, well, that's insane. He must be out of his mind. Why would he do that? But as Paul says, it is the love of Christ that constrains me, compels me. Church, what is the thing that constrains you? compels you? What's the motivating factor? The cross of Christ and the throne of Christ ought to be before our eyes in all that we do. So We see a new motivation for life. A second one is this. We see a new mindset in life. A new mindset in life. What do we mean by that? What does that look like? Verse 16. Paul says, from now on. In other words, Once we become a new creation, once we're saved, once God has got a hold of our life and we're following after him, what does he say? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, from a worldly perspective. Church, let me ask you a question. When you see people How do you see them? What's the mindset that you have when you look at people, when you encounter people, the people that live next to you, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you encounter that you don't even know? What's your mindset of the people that are all around this globe? How do you view them? How do you see them? Paul gives us an understanding that as new creations we don't regard anyone. We don't see anyone with a worldly perspective. Rather our mindset has shifted and we see them as Christ sees them. Paul helps us understand this in Philippians chapter three, verse 18. He says this, for I have often told you and now I say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Church, can we just be honest? There are many in our community, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in our country, all across the globe who are enemies of the cross of Christ. How do you see them? How do you see them? When you think of them, you get mad at them? Are they your enemies? Are they against you? Are they in your way? Are they crazy? What does Paul say? He says, I'm in tears over them. There's a burden welling up. Why? Because the love of Christ for those people is compelling him to have a love for them as well. Church, this is what he's called us to be. God has called us to love our enemies, if you will, to love the enemies of the cross of Christ, not to point fingers, not to, not to judge, not to come along say and shame on you, right? The, the people that cut you off on the road, right? Like, like, Jesus loves them. He's calling us to love them. The frustrating neighbor, the, 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 the person at work that just drives you crazy, God is calling us to love these people. We have a new perspective. See, Jesus had a new perspective. He showed us a new perspective. See, there's all the religious elite that were baffled why Jesus was eating meals with the sinners, wasn't he? and the tax collectors, and the ones that were the outcasts, when he came across the Samaritan woman at the well, when she was there because she had to do it when no one else was there because she was an outcast in the city, multiple spouses, like just, just kind of the, the one that everyone looked down upon, what does Jesus do? He spends time with her. He has a conversation with her. He reveals to her his love and his grace in her, in her life. And then she's transformed, and what happens then, the whole village, is transformed and comes to know the Savior. We could go on and on. The woman who was literally caught in adultery, what does Jesus do? He says, we're your accusers, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. In other words, he has grace on her and calls her into repentance. This is who we are to be. This is what we're called. And it happens when we shift our mindset and we see people the way God sees people. We see as Jesus sees. So we have a new motivation. We have a new mindset. And then thirdly, we have a new mission in life. We have a new mission in life. You know that you have a mission in your life. Listen, one of the things that people long for more than anything is purpose. you know that christians have the greatest purpose we ought to be the most purpose-driven people on the planet notice what paul teaches us look at verse 18 he says all this is from god who through christ reconciles us to himself right so in other words all of these things god has given us all of this Christ is reconciling us personally. This is the personal relationship with him. He's reconciling us to himself. And then notice what he says. He has given us, or he gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us. Not only did he reconcile you, make right, not counting your sins against you because of what Jesus did, he gave you that. But now he has also given you the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, that is in Christ, God was not reconciling the that excuse me, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, God is not just reconciling you. The scripture says that he is in the work and desiring to reconcile all the world, that all people, all nations, would come to know him. Well, how does he do that? He has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. He's given it to us. In other words, if we don't do something with it, it's not going to get done. That's what he's called us to. He goes on, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the representatives of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, ambassadors here on earth, representing him. This is our role. This is our mission Now watch this, God making his appeal through us. Talk about heavy load. You wanna know what your job description is in life? That God Almighty who's on his throne in heaven has somehow for some crazy reason decided, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use my people to make my appeal. It's our role. It's our mission. If you notice earlier in the chapter, Paul says um, in verse... uh uh, verse 11, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. In other words, Paul is saying that we are persuading people. What does it mean to be an ambassador? We're trying to persuade people towards the understanding of that which we are ambassadoring, if that's even a word, right? And so we are trying to persuade people to compel people, but what he says is my life is plain before God. In other words, I'm an open book. God sees me as he sees me, and my life is following Jesus. I'm compelled by his love, he's transformed me. But I also hope that it is plain before you, he says. In other words, I hope people can see my life that it's in Christ. In other words, your life, as you live your life plainly in this community, in the world around us, what do people see? Do they see an ambassador of Christ, of heaven, of God on his throne, or do they see something else? This is what it means when we say you are sent. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ in our community and in the world around us. So what does Paul say? Verse 20, we plead on Christ's behalf. In other words, we beg of you, be reconciled to God. You know, it's interesting. Two years after Jim Elliot was killed, his wife, Compelled and constrained by the love of Christ, said the mission isn't finished. So she and their three-year-old daughter go back to Ecuador to the very people who killed her husband. And she lived among them, living a life of love. And of grace and of mercy and she later wrote in her book this the prayers of the widows the widows of the men who were killed that day the prayers of the widows themselves are for the acus we look forward to the day when these savages will join us in christian praise man compelled sent a church i don't know if by you saying yes, Lord, it means that you're going to find your place in a place where you could be killed for your faith. I don't know that. I pray that God raises up generation of people who would go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you know, does it break your heart that there are 60% of the world's population, that's 4.6 billion people who are unreached? Unreached simply means this, that if they live there every single day of their life, they will never encounter another Christian They will never encounter anyone who knows of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will never encounter a Bible. 4.6 billion people on planet Earth right now in that circumstance. Church, we must be a people and a church who are praying and, and striving to raise up a generation and calling out that people would go, that people would be compelled to say, not on my watch, not on my watch. maybe it doesn't mean that you get on a plane and you pack it all up and you go, but there's a sense in which God has called you to live sent right where you are. You can pray for those on the front lines. We're going to talk on Wednesday night with zoom of a missionary friend of mine who's in Asia right now. We're going to talk to him on the ground. What's it like? What does it look like to live sent in this country? We can pray for these people. We can, can ask that God would use them, empower them. We can, we can give to support them. We can do all these things, but the question is, what are we gonna do? God's called us to be a people who live sin. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, I thank you that you have given us the privilege and the call to be your representative, that you're making your appeal through us. So Lord, this morning, God, I pray that you would draw us in so that we can be sent out. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know you. Lord, this morning, may they come to faith in you. May they be transformed by your grace and by your mercy. God, I pray for those this morning that you are calling out for ministry, for missions, whether that's a young person, whether that's even an adult. God, would they just be willing to say yes to your mission, whatever that looks like? Lord, we ask that you would use us as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, William Carey, he was known as the father of the modern missionary movement. He said these two phrases. He said that we need to expect great things from God and we need to attempt great things for God. Church, as we move forward, I want us to be a church that expects great things from God. But I also want us to be a church that attempts great things for God. And what does that look like? It simply looks like this, that our people are willing to say, Yes, Lord, to whatever that looks like, whatever it costs, whatever it requires for His name, for His glory. We're entering into our missions week. The chairs or pews, you'll notice that there's some of these live sent cards spread around. We just wanna give practical ways for you to take steps towards this. The first on the back, you'll notice, I will pray out in the foyer, there's some tables with some information. We also have a representative of the international mission board here. There's resources, cards, ways that you can pray for missionaries, for people all over the world. Stop by, talk to them about that. So also a place where you can say, I want to give to this thing called the Go Fund. Let me explain that. Every dollar that you give in your tithes and in your offerings to our church, a portion of that goes to missions goes to support our local partners, goes to the cooperative program, different things like that. But we also give people an opportunity to go above and beyond to support missions in a very tangible way through the Go Fund. That Go Fund supports our uh, church plant partner in Arizona. It supports our uh, missions uh, connection and partnerships in Honduras. And it also helps offset costs for our people to go and live sent, to go on mission trips, to go on mission. So that's what that is. And then you'll notice down here, there's a place to say, hey, I wanna go on a mission trip. Maybe you've never been. Can I just say, just go, just go see what God is doing in the nations and the world outside of this community. It'll expand your view of who he is. And then there's also some different things. We have a lot of ministry partners. This is one of the reasons I love this church, whether it's in our schools, with the crisis pregnancy center, whatever it is, there's a lot of different ways that you can be active and involved how will you respond let's stand together this morning pastor case is down here i'll be down here i'd love to pray with you encourage you he would as well but would you just simply in our time of response as best you know say yes lord it's whatever you have let's sing together thanks for listening to the podcast for green hill church For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.